The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. Ben, ben would be so proud. That was fast. I know. And we're live. It is Tuesday, November 16th, 2021, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. You're here with a sleep deprived Genevieve and a um, <laughs> pain riddled Kate. And we are, um, yeah, we're having cheese night because it's a low key night. And are you seeing the chat? I'm not. Oh, there's it. Oh, wow. I wasn't seeing the chat for some reason. It's very strange. Now it's back. Weird stuff all around with Crowdcast. Maybe got updated. Um, so, uh, Genevieve, I haven't caught up in a while. How are things going? Oh, man. Well, keeping in line with our modern medicine discussion, uh, Luke got his first round or, or his big round of shots yesterday. Oh, how was that? Which was, which was a terrifying thing to just witness. So he had had one at his first, like, one month or whatever. And I insisted that Andrew come with me this time because I was not facing that alone. And so they had to give him two shots and an oral um, vaccination. He was a champ about the first one. The second one, five alarm fire. He is screaming. And I think they could have heard him outside. And I was like hiding in the corner, like the brave person that I am. I was like, I can't listen to this. And then I'm just very grateful for baby Tylenol. (laughs) So, I mean, but he's better now. Yeah, he's fine now. He it was just one of those. I, it's, I guess everybody goes through this, but I have no idea because I know nothing. Um, and it was just one of those things that they're like, "Okay, um, you're gonna want to give him some Tylenol tonight." And I was like, "Okay." So we had some, and he, at first he's like fine, and then there was like a witching hour, and he just started losing it, and like wow. he felt he felt warm, and then like his every time we held him, it was like where they gave him the shots like was tender so a little bit of Tylenol and everything was much better well we're not allowed to have fun anymore but we are allowed to get our shots I will say that so this is the this is the nexus of Luke's pain in mind which is that like um last Wednesday night at like seven I went and got my booster and I couldn't even I was gonna do what Ben did and get the flu and they couldn't even give me the flu so they just gave me the Pfizer booster and I was fine until like, it was like sore. And then it got really bad around 24 hours later. And I was like a mess on Thursday night. And then and so much pain on my arm and my back and like my neck. And then I sound like an old lady complaining about this, but then like, it just like didn't, hasn't gone away. Like, it's like not quite as like God awfully bad, but I don't know like what to do. Like that's the other strange thing. And it's just kind of as, so anyways, now I'm just like cranky and kind of trying to figure it out. I've just been like heating, padding it all the time. So one of the things that people keep suggesting is it was Pfizer, Devin Nunes is lawyer. But and one of the people thinks keeps suggesting is going to a chiropractor. And this is like, this is like anathema to everything that <laughs> like science-based medicine believes in. Um, and I'm really interested, um, what is it? Chiropractice, chiropractic, chiro. 
I, chiropractic. Sure. Is chiropractic practitioner? <laughs> are chiropractic chiropractics? Thank you, JDX. Real medicine. This is a poll question. Yeah. I'm very interested to know what people think. I, I, I. It helped my brother a lot. So I, the youngest brother, had back issues, and it's like his hip was like not aligned correctly. And so he went to one and he swears by it. And yeah, and I've heard a couple of other people and then other people it's been, it made things worse. So maybe it depends on the doctor or. Yeah, I kind of, but like, you know, I have people that, I know people that swear by acupuncture, but they do tons of double blind studies of acupuncture and none of them show that acupuncture makes a difference. So like, I'm just kind of like, um, I don't know. I'm just kind of curious whether it's like junk science or whether it's fine or like, but the other thing that I'm curious about is like, why do we, I mean, why, I mean, and this kind of is almost like a harm principle thing, but like why it is that we let people like those types of practitioners exist. And there's been like all of this other, like why we're so upset about like ivermectin. Like, why do Uh we care? Like, why do we care if people poison themselves with like, or don't even poison themselves? Like, just take it and it does nothing. Like I'm, yeah. I'm not, hasn't been clear to me. Do you have any idea? I mean, I, I don't have an idea why like society at large, but for me, it's just, if you're willing to buy into a system of any system and it has a distinct benefit for you, benefit for you and it doesn't harm another. And yeah. I think that that's the, the crux there is like, so when I go to a, an acupuncturist or I do something that's like, I don't know, or I'm, I, I buy crystals for example. Crystal. Like, Are you a crystal person? I am not a crystal person. I'm putting um, that, that's the next poll question. Are you a crystal person? I think they're very pretty. And I do have like geodes in our house, but they're there because I like the geode. They're not there because okay, okay. I think that they give me any peace. Um, although I make jokes with my, I, I've made a joke that I have diamond beaties and I require <laughs> Well, there you Special go. crystals. I've never, I've never heard of that. I've never heard it called that. That's pretty great. That's like, oh god, I, I, I do like jewelry. It's, it's so bad. And my, I got yelled at the other day because apparently I'm infecting people by sharing my diamond beaties diagnosis, and <laughs> I got yelled at. Yeah, and I'm like, it's a funny word. Let me, let me do it. Um, but the uh, anyway, the so if you're buying that. You're not hurting anyone else. And like for me, that's fine. I am very skeptical of a lot of things. I I don't I don't know if it does work, but if it makes me feel better, I'm willing to entertain it. And so for for that, like I went to an acupuncturist a very long time ago and he really helped me because I had a lot of like issues with like my thyroid. But he wasn't just doing acupuncture. He was also, like, monitoring my diet and giving me specific nutritional supplements. So I think that that's probably what helped me and, like, balance out whatever issues I was having. Um, But, yeah. So, I mean, I guess, like, if you're going to be an empiricist, you have to be open to everything, right? Yeah. I mean, yes. Even even though there are studies that say they don't work. (laughs) Well, I mean, you, I don't know if an empiricist, you have to be open to everything. I think that it's an empiricist, you're open to like, think everything being open to being proven. 
Yes. And that's, thank like, you for that's, clarifying that. Yeah. I think that like, so it's not like you have to like, you know, yeah, yeah, crystals, yeah, yeah, incense, like type of thing, but you can, um, yeah. Anyways, I think that this is like an interesting point and I'm a little surprised that we've, I mean, I think that because there are other things, which is like that people think that they can treat themselves with ivermectin instead of getting vaccinated and then put other people at risk because they refuse to get vaccinated. That's like where it kind of comes in. But yeah, um, there's also yeah. that medical culture in each. Um, so this was something that I didn't realize. Like there are different medical cultures in each hospital and also like different medical cultures in each country. So I've heard that in Japan, if you go to the doctor and you leave and you don't get like an injection of some kind, then they don't feel like they've gotten like their money's worth for going to the doctor. This is anecdotal. I do not know this for a fact. This is just what I've heard. However, hmm. if, if you think about Americans, if, if like, especially I'll speak for my grandmother, if she goes to the doctor and she's not getting a prescription for a pill, she doesn't feel like she's getting treated. So it, when you think about that, it's, it's kind of crazy too. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that there's a lot moving pieces. Um, the other thing that we were going to talk about is that we have no idea what's going on in the world because we've both been like our heads in the stand. You've had a baby and I have been working on a paper um, trying to ignore Twitter. Um, but uh, if people want to give us the, the news, they're welcome to come on and ask a question. Let me see who's asked a question so far. Who's Richard? Um binge watching recommendations only um oh sure i'll invite i'll invite john on we can talk about that oh um, yeah i did catch that that was exciting that was, it was pretty funny um i do think that um i'm i was so in my own head about it that i didn't even realize that it was confusing for people but a number of people have kind of been like, I had no idea, like what. John Bordeaux, thanks for joining us. Hey, you hear me okay? Yeah. What was your question okay. specifically? Well, <clears throat> I noticed that uh, someone pushed a blue check upon you in your sleep, which I thought was a little uh, uncalled for. So you woke up the other day and found out that you were verified. Yeah. And then promptly said, no, thank you. What the hell are you doing? So, uh, and because of your status, then got a call from inside Twitter saying, do you really want me to kill it? Because I'll kill it. And now it's gone. So I'm just curious what the, the somewhat violent response to the idea. And again, oh, I, yeah. I found the cartoon, cartoon to capture it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Your cartoon was perfect. That was really, that was very funny. Also, I love Pigpen. He is excellent. Um, John. Uh, so yeah, so that was actually a perfect encapsulation of kind of what happened. Um, and I'll let you go down soon to just like sit here unless you want to. You can Alice it's all good. if you want to. Okay. It's all good. Um, but no, this it was really funny. Um, it was Sunday morning and I woke up and there was like I had gotten this blue check mark. And I have specifically never requested a blue check mark. And this actually is really interesting. So 2009, 2009, Twitter rolled out the blue check mark as kind of a way to age gate or to kind of to age gate and to, to basically verify what was like fake accounts that were proliferating on the site. And um, shortly after that, it became almost like it was not being used as that. And it became started to become like almost like a party favor that they would kind of give out. Um, I remember a lot of friends going to South by Southwest mm -hmm. 
And like, it would be like, they'd show up at the Twitter tent and like, there would be marketing people there and they'd be like, we can verify you. And they would like, you know, that was kind of like how it was, it was kind of being used. Um, and so I studied content moderation. And so the fact that this entire thing existed, that people thought that it was a real thing and like that it like required some level of actual real ver verification or that it conferred on you some greater ability to keep your account from getting hacked or oh. to like pull it back if it had been like banned or to get your stuff put back up if it got taken down, all was false. And so like, I just kind of was like, this is a, um, I don't know, worse than doing nothing because you're giving people kind of this false idea that something real is happening behind the scenes here and nothing really is. And so um, I've been offered a blue check mark multiple times and have always been like, no, that's okay. Um, also, like, let's just not lie. It kind of feels like one of those things, like everyone wants it. And so because everyone wanted it, I didn't want it. I just was like, Meh. Would you like uh, to be in our club? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and it's, I should also say that it's like, like the program has like existed and has been suspended. No one knows all of this history except for me, but like, I think, and people who like pay close attention, which I don't think there's many, but like, it's like, it's like been shut down and restarted a bunch of times. Um, so it might be a more robust thing now. They might be trying to make it more robust. Um, it turns out, actually, I found out why it wasn't totally random, although I thought that it was. I thought that some poor freaking engineer in Singapore or something had just like flipped a switch and verified <laughs> me for some reason. And I was like ruining their Sunday complaining about this. Um, but it turns out that I did a... Um, I did a Twitter spaces like a week ago with like the head of like Twitter global policy. Uh, and someone had made a joke. Actually, it was Nate personally had like made a joke in the Twitter uh, in our like email coordinating email that was like, I better get a blue check mark for doing this. And Nick Pickles had been like blue check marks all around. And I thought he was like joking, but he like pushed it. And so. A week after, on a Sunday at 1.30 in the morning, all of a sudden I'm verified on Twitter. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and so um, anyways, it was uh, what's the, I mean, the weird part is, and the part that really bothers me is that there's, it just kind of, yeah, I, I said why it bothers me, but then there's also just kind of this idea that like, as with all of my problems in social media, because I cover it and because people listen to me about it, I get kind of special treatment. And like, there's a level at which that's like a justified response. And you kind of understand that you have a special place as like a certain level of stakeholder. But there's also like, I'd be much more palatable. That would be much more palatable if there was a baseline that was higher for like everyone else. Like if it wasn't such a discrepancy between you have no recourse to get your account reinstated or to get something put back up mm -hmm. or whatever, or you're a special person. And so you have all, the, and like Facebook just got hit really hard with this, like really hard for having a whitelisting policy. And I don't understand why other places aren't getting like hit with this. So that's kind of what, that's everything that happened. And I just kind of, um, they had agreed to let me keep it until Tuesday because I was interested in seeing how the experience was different if you, but then I, I think I like walk my, my tweets got too much attention and it was probably bad PR. And so they just like deleted it by like the end of the night on Sunday. So it was just gone. <laughs> was um, everyone else on that email um, exchange also verified? I don't know. I should check. I wonder if they, I wonder if that's true. Also like who, 
who believes that like these people are going to actually do what they say? Like, <laughs> oh yes, Nate's verified now, so Nate has a check mark. So I guess they all were. Um, but anyways, it was just like I just kind of. Thought, but like, isn't that like a weird way? Like, like I mean, I think that people think you that you have to show ID or yeah, there is verified. a mystique. As someone who really knows very little about it, there is a mystique about the blue check mark, and in some way, it's like, well, this is going to distinguish you. And like, I, I think Mateo said something about this, like that the function is to distinguish between fake accounts and real accounts. But the other part of this is too, like, there's a marketing power to having a blue check mark. Like, there are people who are trying to build brands who want that blue check mark because it's better negotiating point for them. Well, and um, Scott said this was like a, it's like a target for trolls, and that's certainly true because it makes oh, you yeah. feel like, and and Jamal Green jokingly responded that I was now were they able to defame me with impunity because obviously like the New York Times v. Sullivan kind of thing and I was like yes all of these things are things that I've written about that I think that like I do like if you do have it like there is an expectation that you're privileged in some way but the reality is that you're not necessarily and I don't know it just like creates a whole bunch of um stuff there are a few people that um there are a number, like somebody sent me, can you get this guy verified? He has 292,000 <laughs> Twitter followers and he is um, like a Washington Post columnist and like has written a bunch of books. I forget the guy's name and like is not verified. And I don't know what's going on there, but like, I mean, he is more of a public figure than I am. Like, that's crazy. So anyways, this is all just kind of to say that I thought it was, I don't know. I just kind of had like weird ideological feelings around it interesting to frame an argument about whether or not you're a public figure based on like the check mark i would love to see that like play out in like a case but i doubt i will well actually maybe you never know um you never know there's well (laughs) speaking of the written house trial and we'll get to this in a second hey chris um Uh did you watch i haven't been following it but i did get catch the clip of the judge looking at his iphone screen and trying to explain why it was that it was blurry and kind of and this is kind of just an interesting i don't know if you've taken evidence yet genevieve but this that was just kind of an interesting kind of verification of evidence type of point that i think is like super interesting when it comes to like electronic um electronic records and things like that is that it's incredibly hard to verify things um, in a way that can be, it also has to be translated outside of like a common sense type of thing that mm-hmm. used to fly for official documents to making it, explaining a whole, like a blockchain level of like math to like why something is verifiable um, to a judge or a jury. Um, but Chris, hi. Hi. What's, what's your question? So. I have a, a, a question. It's it's sort of a, I'll give I'll give you the 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 um, sort of basics about the account in question, and then to sort of find out sort of your knowledge of sort of how it works behind the scenes to for, for someone who who had a suspicious account that was taken down, and then they said uh, they were verified by by Twitter, and it was it was reinstated. In this case, I don't want to go into the whole like down the whole wormhole here but anyways it's it's a it's an account uh and it's called kate stewart 22 and it was suspected of being uh used by saudis uh tied to the crown prince of saudi arabia who are part of their whole um twitter trolling like online army um okay. this is an account 
uh, where the person behind the account claims to be like a, a, a woman living in the UK, but it's, it's 122,000 tweets, like, you know, a hundred tweets a day for the last three years. And it's only been, okay. it's only been active since, um, since the whole, uh, Jamal Khashoggi and it's just a very pro and mostly it mostly uh tweets about pro pro Saudi stuff and of course okay the uh, most recent thing that that happened in Saudi Arabia was they they acquired uh a, 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 a football club in 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 uh in the UK Newcastle United which I actually mentioned to um uh on the show okay. but why why do we care about this person okay so I'm, I'm just curious because they Everyone, you know, goes back and forth and says this, 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 this is an account run by agents of the Saudi state, and they say, "Oh no, it's I'm just a, I'm just a, you know, woman living in the UK." Okay. Uh, it, was, it was taken down and it was reinstated, and, and the, the account will say, "Well, I'm, I was, I was verified by Twitter. I mean, not not with a blue check. I, I was, I was, I was prompted because you were talking about blue checks and verification." But uh, do, do you have any insights into sort of how how accounts that are sort of seen as suspect or, or trolling uh, are taken down and then reinstated because they, they, the account usually says, I was verified by Twitter, which, no, you know. No, okay. So first of all, like a bunch of things aren't making sense. So hold on. Okay. Why do we care about this person? How many follow, like, or do like, they like, are they like well followed or listened to or something? Or is it just like a yes, random person? But it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying we, we should care because it's, 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 it's sort of like a, a only example I can think of where it's, it's like an example of, like a, a real user in the UK, but also with like the troll army of like Saudi Arabia state and the, you know Crown Prince behind this account. So the account is an amplification of the other messages, but by one individual. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it, it it was it, it was named. There's there's a Al Jazeera journalist named Gada Wais who was uh, you know targeted by the by the crown prince uh and uh hacked in, in the same way that um uh, right. i'm not i'm not i'm really confused though hold on yeah so there like first of all there are tons of fake accounts tons yeah. of fake accounts there are tons of fake accounts with very few followers that tweet a bajillion times a day and like are not taken mm -hmm. down by twitter uh, right. And I continue yeah. to exist. Right. So why do we care about this one? I mean, and tons that do propaganda work and concerted disinformation. So what what is it? That, how many followers does this person have? Um, let me look. Sorry. Like um, hundreds or like. No. Uh, hundreds like, of thousands. OK, she she has twenty five thousand twenty five thousand followers. Uh, I mean, there's the possibility. So. Uh, Okay, so to answer your question, um, yeah. well, like, how does something like this happen? First of all, the them saying I was verified by Twitter is meaning something different than yes. the blue check mark verification. It means probably, I'm not sure what, but some they did something that like required them some type of appeal was allowed once their account was removed. If they did indeed remove their account, and the second thing is like there is just the possibility that like real people run these accounts and are paid to run these accounts as like shell 
people. And so like, how do you get to a level in which authentication gets at your motives, like the motives that you're in, like versus like whether or not you're like the person that you say you are like, cause it sounds to me like they're saying who they say they are. They might very well be a woman in the UK, but they might be working for the crown prince. Yes. What strikes me is like, that's not something that Twitter is it's Twitter's job to verify. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. I, 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 I was also, also reminded because the, the, the reason why I have my account, Chris Argus, is because when I joined Twitter, uh, th this account was taken um, and was was being used. Um, uh, what's it called? Um, squatted on by somebody uh, impersonating my cousin, who was a uh, now deceased yep. professor at Harvard Business School. And so I went through the process with Twitter of, of appealing to them saying, whoever is using this account, account, it only tweeted once and it just linked once. Whoever is purporting to be behind this account is not my 80, then 85 year old yep. cousin. And so Twitter took that down and then gave me the account. So I've, I've a sense, I've been through, I'm one of the only people that I know that have sort of has ha had an account that was in, in their name because it was a cousin's name and been able to successfully get that account. And so I, I was sort of ha had a sort of behind the scenes insight into how, you know, somebody is verified without being, you know, getting the, the blue check because I, I had to prove who I was, you know, to, to get that account in my name, even though it wasn't the blue check verified. So I yeah. just was sort of re reminded of that experience. And, you know, it's, I was sorry if I went down this wormhole because it's 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 something that fans of the the football club are are concerned about because of the whole Saudi influence and wondering yeah. whether you know having a purportedly not state owned but a state controlled football team is is a good thing for the UK. I can cool. see that. It's so yeah. interesting how different words have like different meanings. Like verification can mean so many different things. It can mean it within the terms and service of the platform. And like, even if you're going to, I only know this because of a class I took, like if you're trying to give service through a digital account, you still have to verify that the user's active and that has a whole different verification like process. And it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the, this is one of the reasons why people talk about kind of like the, one of the things that is so frustrating when people talk about easily regulating children's use of the yes. internet or something online that I get really frustrated because there is no really, there is no very like robust way to make sure that the person on the other end of the screen is and always is the same person who's the account holder, even if they've shown ID at some point or whatever else, like, you know, so there's, um, I think it's a great, to, to the point about squatting though, I'm going to say this, that there's something, there's something interesting here. So one of my friends who will be, who remain anonymous given the situation, this is a true story. One of my friends was an early, early adopter of Twitter, went, later went and worked for the company for a period of time. He's a programmer. Um, and he has a, one of the two, two, two letter handles because mm -hmm. he was so early. Oh, wow. So he has like one of like, it's just his initials. And uh, he was approached uh, and he uses it regularly. It's not an abandoned account. It's not a deceased person's account. And there's a whole like there's literal IP issues and like an Internet law around this. But um, he was approached to sell his name um, from from an outside party. 
like just an individual who really wanted it for business purposes and other purposes. And he refused. And um, he was uh, swatted uh, repeatedly over, and he is a person of color. He was swatted repeatedly over the next a period of like six months. So to, for those unfamiliar, swatting is basically, um, it is like a video game term that kind of came about from, I don't know, like people playing online and watching and like, and like kids, it started, I think as a prank. I'm not even sure if it's totally a prank, but it's just like the idea that basically, um, you call the, you call in like, you say that you call in a threat from a person's residence and you get like a SWAT team sent to the house and they come in with guns blazing and sometimes people get killed and it's incredibly, incredibly dangerous. And it's this use of state force in order for like, for no reason or for the purposes of like harassment. Um, anyways, he got multiple swattings, like of basically he, his, like of people calling and saying he was abusive his wife and young kid were standing cooking dinner and like the tea and like a, like a police would not leave the house that's because horrifying. they didn't yeah it was really terrifying anyway so that's like all to say that like the this was all over a two-letter twitter handle um <laughs> so that's kind of uh an insane um that's kind of like i, I don't know an insane level of this but yes um there is like, there could be like an entire, I mean, there has been textbooks written about kind of like the, um, the estate law or like the, like of, of what happens to Twitter accounts or to various and like how social media, ha how social media, ha there's like a very dark story here, how they had to evolve these kinds of ideas, like in reaction to people that yeah dying they use the services and people lying and taking do you remember do you remember in property we taught the sex.com case yep i remember yeah. that very vividly there's also uh <laughs> sorry <laughs> no, no it's a so for everyone in the course it is fascinating because there's the use and there's like the enrichment of the those the building of the business itself and that person doesn't benefit from or, or is trying to get it returned to them because the other person had taken it, but they were in jail. And I'm not going to be able to do a very quick, like, catch no, here, but think... it is fascinating. Yeah, it was, it was a, it's a good case. And it, that one has in particular has a lot of twists and turns that are good for kind mm -hmm. of, uh, of for illustrating. Um, There's also, um, some crazy website. Hold on, let me see if I can find it. Oh, and I, I don't, I don't want to bury the lead. So let me see if I can find it. Yeah. Uh, um, to those unfamiliar, uh, the problem of squatting was significant, and the case that, in, especially in the late '90s, um, and of on domain names. So the idea was that you'd go and for free or almost free, you'd register a huge swath of domain names, and then when inevitably walmart wanted to have walmart.com you would have like bought walmart.com and they would have to pay you some massive amount of money to just hand over this this um this property right basically and um it led to a number of um cyber squatting um it's that was what it's called and they led to a number of kind of like um a number of lawsuits and kind of an established way to kind of delineate these types of things and to pass this along but the case that i do with property class that Genevieve was in was the case of sex.com, which was that it was a domain name that had been registered by one person. And then another person, uh, and then they didn't use it. And then another person stole it. And then basically 
uh, developed it into an entire pornographic empire that was worth a lot of money. And then the person wanted it back and the one who had stolen it and used it and developed this or like and done nothing, like kind of like went and absconded with all of his riches to the Canary Islands or something. And uh, he remains. <laughs> yeah. And like never, it never, never faced justice. And it was, uh, and it was kind of a, it was amazing. It's like, it's an amazing case in a bunch of ways. But um, one of the reasons is like this idea of intangible property and how we understand, and which is very relevant with NFTs these days of like how we understand kind of all of these types of property where you can't actually possess the thing or control it necessarily, or you could control it, but you can't possess it. So like, that's kind of like physically possess it. So um, yeah, it was, it's a good uh, case. The speaking of which Richard, let's see if Richard can come on. Twists and turns. We love a plot twist. Richard, Richard. what are you watching these days? Well, um, my wife and I are, three-fifths of the way through Chernobyl. So oh, so good. It's, you know what, have you have you seen this, Kate? Um, I have, I have not watched it, but I have heard about it. I heard it is, it, you know, I heard it was very, it was like good, but like then I heard the science came, scientists came back at it and were kind of very upset at its depiction of how radiation works i think you have to it's suspend like your disbelief <laughs> definitely yes. but yeah yeah, yeah. it's well, a little I, like easier uh, if it was like on the moon and not like an actual yes. historical event yes. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> sorry well the um I, I, I guess some of it's accurate though i i mean i would imagine um uh but i uh it, it's so somebody just said heroin and that's a that's a good word for it i we can't i can't watch more than one episode at a time and i can't remember when the last time was that i saw a film that wasn't a horror film it just had to be tense the entire through the entire episode so it's it's not a relaxing it's not a relaxing show to to watch but uh but, I love yeah, it. I am so um it's not but you like it and you find it it's, and like it's so you can only watch one episode at a time, so it doesn't sound like you're binging it at all. Uh well I'm slow binge, like one night one one a night, I guess. Richard, do you think that it's so harrowing for you because you're remembering like your reaction to the actual event? At or does it does is that part of it? Because I I imagine sometimes that like when films and they already do depict 9-11, but when they mm -hmm. start to do that with more detail, I'll, I'll probably, and Kate will probably have like similar, like, I can't, I can't take too much of this. Like even with the 20th anniversary, like I couldn't watch a lot of it. Which, wait, yeah. which, what was it? Which one? Uh, 9 just like, not, Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, with Chernobyl, I, I mean, I remember, you know, I remember the period well, I wasn't following the, the story, you know, deeply, but, you know, I was following it long enough, enough. I knew when the, um, I remember the reports when they first detected the radiation in Sweden. And, uh, and then, you know, there was concern about, well, what's going to happen with this radiation? Is it going to travel to America and kill us all? Um, and uh, I don't think people were too concerned about that. Um, but, uh, but I, I I don't think it's so much that I, there's something there's something about just somehow relating to the characters and I'm not even sure why I relate or you know there's just a I, 
I, I found that I, that I was drawn in and just sympathized with so many of the characters there. Um, and that's, um, and that probably had a lot to do with, has a lot to do with the way I feel, uh, why I feel the way I do about it. So, um, um, so for binge recommendations, are you looking for something lighter? Uh, well, something heavier. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Heavy water. Almost, you know, almost anything's going to be, um, be lighter at this point. Uh, I got um, Paula into Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I will say that there's nothing particularly prophetic or great about those plot lines. It is mm -hmm. the characters and their development that is so rich and so good. Um, and so I would, I know it sounds silly, but that's actually like a really fun, fun show. And it's like a really, it's a, the writing is tremendous for the, especially for the era, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And, but I can't, um, I'm trying to think of like, um, I can't watch, like, I was trying to think of a show that was kind of like what you're describing where I like couldn't stop watching, but then I could only watch one episode at a time because it was just so fraught. Um, and the best one that I can think of is Breaking Bad. Oh. I tried to watch, like, I was watching Breaking Bad and I just was like... I was so compelled by like kind of the characters and their futures and like what was going to happen to them and like how they interacted under this insane levels of pressure. But like, also it was just such an intense show that like, I like John made a rule of like, you can't, we can't watch this before bed because you'll never go to sleep. And like, that was just kind of, which meant that we just stopped watching. So yeah. yeah. Did well, anyone watch 24? I, we did watch 24. We did. I didn't. The whole thing, but you know, I think the thing for for me for Breaking Bad, which is actually, believe it or not, it's the only show that I've watched. Um, I've watched the whole series twice, um, but um, shows like that, and even to some degree, shows like The Sopranos and um, um, and um, shoot, the Baltimore Crime, uh, The Wire, but things like that. There's something about uh watching um people's capacity for evil but also their capacity for good and yep. you know just uh, it, it's something that I, I think is you know useful it's really kind of useful for the imagination to you know to, to think about this and there is um there is a good there's an extent to which it you know it does track with reality how people really are and I think that's also part of the reason why um, why I find uh, Chernobyl, uh, you know, I have the reaction to Chernobyl the way that I do because of the, you know, because it really brings out these very common human things that, uh, you know, that we all, you know, deal with at some level or not. Yeah. yeah. We're all not one thing. And that's such a beautiful point, Richard. Yeah. Yep. It's great to see you. Um, so like, I, um, I don't know. I think that there is, I think that, uh, I think that right now, like I, like now I go back and I watch the wire all the time and it's one of like my favorite shows and I've watched it a million times, but I don't ever watch the season with the kids over again. Like yeah. I can't ever watch that over yeah. again. I just skip yeah. it. Um, or don't watch it. So that's kind of like, I don't know. There's just kind of, um, 
I don't know. Uh, but yeah, the and this, and during like all of the pandemic, I didn't I watched like light stuff. I watched Buffy over and over again or I watched whatever. I just couldn't do anything. Um do anything I else. I totally I totally understand that. I also just love Jared Harris as an actor. Um he also played Lane in Mad Men. And I, I just I Oh, I, okay. I, I I think he's so talented. Um and then uh I have been late night binging Peaky Blinders, <laughs> which is bizarre to me that that is like what I am putting on. I like I'm Peaky Blinders. No, I love it, but it's not like a soothing show. It's like no. something that's really no. getting you going. So if I have to try to go back to sleep, it's probably not the best choice. Yeah. Hey, Daniel. Hey. So yep. actually, I don't think either of us knows really what's going on with a Rittenhouse trial. So that's why I brought you on. What, um, so what I don't, I don't actually have or prefer not to try to summarize uh, a really like fraught trial. Try to summarize the like... complicated trial <laughs> on um, but my question was, and maybe it's not a good question, is kind of if you guys have either high level or in the weed thoughts about the trial. I like literally, I just don't feel qualified to weigh in about it. I mean, because I haven't been following it at all. Um, yeah. I the most I've seen about it is just people's reactions to it and it's pretty mixed because a lot of the reactions are understandably emotional um but there's also like a lot of misstatement of just trial procedure and it also makes me realize that there's a lot that you don't learn necessarily as a general citizen about how a trial proceeds and also as a lawyer of how like detailed and how procedural these things go and what is appropriate and what is not is is uh, kate if i'm wrong please correct me i feel like that's something that you end up learning after you graduate really no that's of course true i mean yeah. like there is no there like like courtroom courtroom behavior procedure is not something i mean frankly um and you'll you you know this at this point but like the frankly the law school is about teaching you kind of a gloss on the law or a way to kind of like it's almost like a meta law. It's about thinking like a lawyer, not like what the actual law is or what the actual rule is, because it turns out that that is a fairly mundane question. And also like, if it's not mundane and there, it's either mundane and there's like some direct answer, which is almost never true, or you have to comb through a bunch of stuff and do interpreting mm -hmm. about it. like, and that is, and that interpretation and like the loyalty to what which direction the law is going to go or the, the loyalty to your argument or like whether it's good or bad for your argument is like something that like you have to learn how to discern and do as a lawyer um but that's not something you learn in like a barbary class and that's what the bar tests and then like so a law school is to teach you something beyond that but then of course like the actual practicing happens when you're on the job and like how to write for a, for a um I don't know. I think this is an interesting point, which is just that, like, I think a lot of people have no appreciation for when the stakes are real, what it is that a partner is actually like. And then all of a sudden, when you're kind of tasked with having a real client and yeah. having a real argument and ha not not being some kind of fake LRW exercise or something like that, it just kind of gets like everything clicks into place. I think a lot of people have that experience more than you'd think. Um, but yeah, all of TV and even like some of the variation you see between televised trials is like kind of 
misleading about how courtrooms are. This is like one of the reasons they don't allow cameras in the courtroom is because it creates a performative atmosphere that's supposed to be kind of free of like performance, you know, for for the greater public. Um, And it's impossible to, I think, if you know you're being televised to not try and cater to the larger jury. (laughs) No, right. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is, this, this is like kind of one of the trade-offs of transparency um do you think so, that's something that would change if we did it more often because like i mean as I, if it became more common and like we just had a greater volume of it perhaps we couldn't have like people wouldn't have the time to focus in a way or they'd become educated enough that they'd understand that things that seem abnormal are actually pretty mundane and things that like are really unusual or even more unusual or is it is it is it something that perhaps kind of just to go back to a conversation we previously had that like you want the people who are your audience to be the people within that community so like your trial is theoretically a trial for the other lawyers but also for the jury members who you're kind of giving like down and dirty instructions about the elements of law so they're kind if that's is that an incorrect way of thinking about it or yeah i i no i don't think that's an incorrect way of thinking about it i'd say this that basically that kind of what you're describing is what i would call like the c-span what's been called the c-span effect which is that in like 1979 1980 when c-span um started running a stream of like the of the floor of the house and the senate um that it changed the behavior and the polarization of the country mm-hmm. um, in its politicians in the sense that it became a way for politicians to make stump speeches from the floor and get support from their constituents and to raise money and donations. Um, Rick Pildes has written about this and there's, he also wrote, um, there's been a couple of studies. Dave Posen did a really great study about this, about the number of times people invoke constitutional rights in floor in like floor speeches. I'm right. And sh- yeah, and like basically kind of did a it was a statistical study where they coded all of the the congressional record and saw this huge spike in like polarization of like each side using like claiming rights more than they've ever done before, but it it went up dramatically overall. Um, post 1980s. So like, there's an idea that there's kind of that this is, I mean, I think that C-SPAN has that effect. And I certainly think that social media has that effect, which is very, in my opinion, kind of ironic, because you see a lot of like the Ted Cruz's, well, not just like Ted Cruz, you see Amy Klobuchar do it, you see everyone do it, which is just kind of like that they make a speech about how terrible the outrage machine of Facebook is. <laughs> and they're so outraged. And then they clip it and they put it on Facebook. Yeah. And like, you know, and it's just kind of a um, do as I do not do as I say not as I do type of moment that really kind of annoys me. But yeah, I think that that's I think that that's kind of that that's generally true. What did our polls come in? Do people believe in chiropractors and crystals? Mm, chiropractics, real medicine? Oh, nobody thinks that it is. I'm surprised that the uh, that that percentage of people think that crystals are pretty. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Those are all diamondbacks. 
Um, okay, I'm gonna. Um, Mike Larkey has a good question, um, and I have a good answer for him. Let's I want to know. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, because uh, I have a, a, a knee-jerk reaction to that, but I don't. Um, oh, he's here, Mike. Is is he here? I don't know. He's in the corner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're in the corner, Mike, but you're not on screen. Oh. Okay. So go ahead for whatever reason. I don't know why, but go ahead and ask your <laughs> question. Uh, sure. So, uh, in the chat, where someone mentioned something about thinking like a lawyer, um, do you know if there's any change in how people think after extensive training like law school or some other kind of extensive training because i feel like uh the way i think pre and post law school is like it's almost like i'm a different person yeah um i'm putting this in the chat it's um a paper by a couple of people that i used to work with dan Gahan at yale and then david hoffman this is just like an incredible incredible um paper it's really it's excellent but basically the um it is a study essentially of whether or not people view facts differently given the amount of training like objective facts differently given their bias in certain areas like to so like they do an example the example they give here is that basically like they put um there is a statute about like an, about littering and there is a water bottle in the desert that is found and like they charge a person with littering by throwing this water bottle away and they claim the what person claims that they were putting in the desert for immigrants that cross the border um and do you like basically the the study is designed to kind of pull you one way or the other depending on your politics like if you normatively believe that like immigration is fine and that we shouldn't go after immigrants as much like then you kind of aren't inclined to find that there was littering and if you and you know likewise like or you know or the or the opposite right um and so what's really interesting with this study by dan and hoffman uh by uh kahan hoffman and um evans is kind of like they did this study and found that they tested a bunch of different populations one was lay people population a lay person population one was a group of law students one was a group of lawyers who had been practicing the bar for like a number of years and one was a group of judges and found that like basically the people most capable of overcoming their personal politics and biases were judges and that it basically went down after that like that that like judges like the more legal training you had the more professional and unbiased your judgment was and kind of weighing certain types of facts than lay people which is a really interesting kind of counterpoint to the which i accepting the supreme court and the politicization thereof the idea that judges are more politicized or biased towards their personal politics versus the opposite when the law is fairly straightforward or clear um with so the idea that. that the judges are like practiced in it's objective. it's actually a, it's actually a cognitive science concept kind of called well in the paper they call it professionalization or cultural cognition mm -hmm. um but you could call it like a type of pattern recognition that like you're able to sort out like the the things that you're not supposed to be considering and that aren't relevant to a case from basically the things that are salient um and that that is a you know so mike like as like a lawyer 
Uh, I think that like there's some like when people I don't know if friends come to you for legal advice, but you get very good at this. Whereas like friends come to you for legal advice and they have all these feelings, mm -hmm. lots and lots of feelings. All of these things have happened to them. Lots of stress. It's like a very normal thing. And like then you have to just like listen and be like, OK, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. That mm -hmm. doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Just answer these three questions for me. Like, did you say anything to the police officer? Did you tell, like, did you apologize to anyone? Did you like, you know, did you do this? Like, did they write you a ticket? Did they like, when's the, you know, like these types of things. Or saying um, maybe and then listing 20 pieces of information that you need to know. Right, mm -hmm. exactly. And so like, I guess my point is basically that like, that you, that those types of things, cognitively, you might call them like a pattern recognition. And I really like the example Dan usually gives them like his criminal procedure class, which is um, the the chicken sexer. So there's like in in poultry factories, they sex chickens on the first day that they hatch. Um, and it's like a very tiny difference to be able to like you could do DNA testing, but that's very expensive and um, time time consuming. And like, how do you ever find that chicken? Again? I don't know. There's like a whole bunch of other things. But basically what they do instead is like they pick up a chicken, and they squeeze it front, they squeeze it a little and then they can like see this tiny little difference. And the people who do this for a living can like do it with like see things that, like you and I wouldn't be able to see, but they do it with like 99% accuracy of like separating roosters from like hens. Um, and so like this is kind <laughs> of this idea of like pattern recognition that like is another form of professionalization. Obviously, the pure visual kind of medium of like chicken sexing is like different than I hope different than the law, the study of law. <laughs> but um, but that but that kind of general idea does, is that helpful, Mike? Uh, yeah. Right answer. I'm just gonna. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that. Um, I don't know. I think that that's. Uh, I don't know. I do think that my, I grew up with lawyers and my brain changed during law school. So I think that that's, um, I think yeah. you, ha you have to, you have to accept so many premises that you disagree with in certain like circumstances just for the exercise of it. And that's healthy. And I wish more people would do that. Yeah. I think that that's, um, I think that that's right. The last question, I'm going to read it. Um, because we're only we're at five minutes left, is um, apparently John Bordeaux is already subjecting his bride to holiday music. Today that is, is a very November good November 16th. Question. Yes. Today is November 16th. Is I don't know if the Dr. Reverend is here, but if she is, and I'm sure she'll have a feeling. Is it too early for for Christmas music? Because let's be honest, there isn't like no one's blasting Hanukkah music or Kwanzaa music right now. I don't think. So, um, so John is defending him saying the week before Thanksgiving is the pertinent part of this. However, I no. find that that's, that could be a very, very long time, particularly <laughs> when the third Thursday is, is early. That is a really long time for Christmas music. And I love Christmas music. But. <laughs> yeah. Um. I don't love Christmas music. I think that it's like really, well, I mean, I do sometimes, but mostly I find it um, only the only Mariah. I could put that on loop and dance around that to my house like all day long. It's really good. I love um, the. Um, and Pentatonics uh, is good. Yes, they're fantastic. And I like the um, 
oh my gosh, I'm brain farting on their name, but it's like the electric guitar version of all the Christmas musics. Um, I'm going to find this. Hold on. Okay. Uh, no, I don't know it. Um, and I like um, the the Vince Guaraldi, like the Christmas, the the Peanuts Christmas music. Yeah. Trans Siberian. Okay, so maybe I do like Trans Siberian Orchestra. Yeah. Um, no, anything but Alvin and the Chipmunks Springfield does. There's no way. I do um, a mean. I do a mean Alvin impression. I will say that. Oh, and Dar Williams Christians and the Pagans. That's a good one. It's pretty yes. classic. Um, we are going to leave it there. We're a little bit early. Um, oh my gosh, Richard, where are you with your, um, uh, Brockner? with your, uh, clock, with your clock for the next, uh, for the next time that, uh, the hours oh, yeah. till that you made the hours till the next show, but it, we're going to be back 23 oh. minutes, three hours and 50 and four minutes from now. Yeah. Four minutes from now. Did I get it right? Yeah. Nice. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the end of ownership, speaking about an intangible property. And um, and more specific, it's not, well, he wrote a book on um, the end of ownership, but he also wrote a great book um, that, oh my God, where is my brain? Um, in my calendar, which seems to have just like spontaneously disappeared. I'm really excited um, for this. Yeah. Um, oh, on the right to repair. So this is that. So that's like, it's actually, it's super fascinating. Just kind of all about kind of um, planned ops, op obsolescence in um, technology, um, the ability to repair without violating license, without violating terms of ownership. Um, just like the ability to kind of the fact that we need to create this right out of property rights. I don't know. It's like a lot of really interesting things. Um, and we'll be back uh, tomorrow to talk about it. And until then, Genevieve. We don't have fun anymore, but we do have Christmas music very early in November. <laughs> yeah. I kind of signed. I'm like on, I'm like, I'm anti John on this one. Bye guys. See you.